Well, hello there, and welcome to Arcadia. Chris Marcus here with you as always. Today is Saturday, November 15th. Hope you're doing well. I'm here in a very snowy Colorado, and it's my first winter here. Of course, we set a record for coldest temperature ever on last week's date, so hopefully uh, wherever you are, you're staying warm and safe and and not not in the jaws of U.S. Treasuries or any other uh, toxic environments, whether it's snow or bad investments. And today we have a podcast, and I want to cover what's going on, a little update in the Eurozone economy, because certainly back in 2011 we saw how interconnected this global economy has become when the Eurozone... Uh, People are realizing that, much like the United States government, that the governments in the Eurozone economies were also insolvent. And similarly to how it was handled by the Federal Reserve here, where the solution was just to print anything that moves, patch anything over with a fresh batch of hundreds. Certainly it's been pretty much the same in the Eurozone with Mario Draghi and his big bazooka when basically... A couple of years ago, he came out and said that he's prepared to do whatever it takes, which only God knows what that actually means, except that with the Wall Street junkies, the way they reacted to that is basically, don't worry about anything. This guy's going to print enough money so that no matter what happens, he'll just keep printing more. It was interesting, certainly... Uh, you know, between 2011 and 2012, you really started to see a spike in interest rates, which is worth keeping in mind because whenever, when you look at the mechanics of how a currency or bond crisis or a real turmoil unfolds, certainly if you look back to 2007 leading up to the housing bubble, what started happening first? What well, was the, the rising interest rates? that were making the once you know, affordable payments on those adjustable rate mortgages, all of a sudden once interest rates rise and people can't afford the servicing costs anymore, that's when you run into trouble. So I expect that some form of that will be what we'll see unfold at some point with some of these sovereign governments because right now, because the Fed is stuffing interest rates down to 0% in the U.S. and in, in, in the Eurozone, Mayor Draghi has gone into negative territory. Yes, that's right. I said negative territory. So if you, uh, you, you know, if you want to take them up on that deal, you can invest 100 bucks, and maybe in a good year you get 97 or 98 back, and that's your best-case scenario. So... You have interest rates so low because they're being forced lower. That's not necessarily where the market would naturally price credit. And obviously it's not where the market would price credit. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing to keep interest rates so low. And again, the whole thing is that it seems great when the stimulus is flowing. But what happens is that once you raise rates, that's when the bubble pops. This isn't... And I, and I know the, the government economists, they try and make this out like you're, you're fine-tuning a nuclear reactor or something. I mean, it's not rocket science. Every time you do this, you'll get the same thing. You, because think about it. They, they, 
people weren't willing to take out loans at the market interest rate, so the Fed comes along, prints up a bunch of cash, or synthetically creating credit, make the interest rate lower, and, oh, well, people borrow money at the lower interest rate, but, yeah, well, when, still, when you bring the interest rate back up, you know, the economy hasn't changed much except for the printed money, so the loans become insolvent. And this is uh, a similar thing that we're seeing in Europe, where now for the last year or two, you've really seen subdued interest rates. They're, after Draghi talked about his big bazooka, which... Now we've actually seen what it was. Basically, when him saying that he was willing to implement negative interest rates, that there's no end in sight to how much money he's going to print. And here's a uh, a little game that I that I like to play. Sometimes I just look at. I don't. I, I try to avoid reading too many of these Wall Street Journal, CIA articles. Sorry. <laughs> I, I use the, ch the terms interchangeably sometimes, but I like just looking at the headlines, and certainly Eurozone economy expands its sluggish pace, which really is no surprise because you had a weak economy, all that happened was you printed money, and eventually the stimulus wore off, but the conditions that originally caused the economy to be weak were never addressed. So... Again, here we are years later, and now the only new plan is to print more money. And as it, it's just amazing, as, as I look through my inbox, and here's back on November 6th, Euro falls as ECB signals readiness for further stimulus. So you have insolvent governments that got together, created the ECB, and print money so that they can keep funding and piling on more debt. And the economy keeps getting weaker. And now, year after year, it's the same thing. And, you know, sometimes I... Well, I'll be honest. I used to wonder a lot whether, you know, these were guys that just didn't understand economics well. And, and, and there's ways in which that I do believe that's actually plausible because in my own experience, I went to Wharton School of Business back uh, about 10 years ago now. And when I went there, the head economics teacher was Jeremy Siegel. And he was teaching the same Keynesian ideology of, hey, when the market's weak, the, the central bank comes in, prints more cash, and that's just how it works. So I believe a lot of people actually you know, a lot of these bankers believe that this is the economic balm that somehow at some point, if you just keep printing enough money that eventually it's all going to work out. Although certainly now I think on the higher levels that there's folks that are very clear and, and, and understand what's happening, but just to me, it's really a broad day bank robbery and Anyway, what we can do in response to that is at least not leave our cash in the bank that's going to get robbed. And this is, again, why holding some of these paper currencies just carries such an enormous amount of risk. Now, to date, certainly things have still been held in check. If you've owned dollars and you've owned treasuries, you've had a pretty good time over the past couple of years, especially relative to gold and silver. 
But whether it's just diversifying out of dollars or euros and I mean, I think there's better currencies. I mean, all of the paper ones are printed, but still Singapore dollars or even Australian dollars or Canadian dollars, certainly relative to, you know, what, what seems to be the biggest, you know, the, the ugliest elephant in the room, which is a, is it a toss up between the, the euro, the dollar or the yen? And perhaps in a future podcast, we'll, we'll, dig into Abenomics and the, and the amazing disaster that that is. But in either case, it's unfortunate that we're in an environment where our so-called leaders are just printing away in almost every country. But, you know, again, what we can do is stay out of the way when the thing collapses, which is a hard thing to time. Certainly my timing has not been great on that. And, you know, again, think about some of the folks that were going around in 2003, 2004, warning about the mortgage market. And sometimes we can't know exactly when something is going to happen, but we can factor that into the plan. Certainly, that's what I like so much about gold and silver is that if you own the physical metal, it sits there and it doesn't matter what the dollar price is today or tomorrow or, you know, assuming that you factored in your time horizon and you invest money that, you know, you can you're waiting for 10 or 20 or 30 years before you're going to need it. And that's what I really think is the, the opportunity that this market presents. Is it a good market for short-term trading? I don't think so. And I had a career as an equity options trader, which was by nature a short-term trading vehicle. Now, I, I, I wish that I could could feel comfortable investing in the stock market and feeling as if it's a, a legitimate trade going on, but there's so much distortion in these markets that, you know, I choose not to, which is, is is fine because the alternative that's presented is that if you're investing for a long-term perspective, I don't know if there's ever been greater opportunity than, than some of the levels that we're seeing now. And part of the reason for that is that normally markets don't get this far out of line. It takes a great deal of manipulation, like we saw in the dot-com bubble. Whether it was on the way up or on the way down, you had Alan Greenspan printing money, which for while it was fueling the bubble, it was great. Once you started raising interest rates, pulled the free cash away, it collapsed. Same thing with the housing bubble. And what the challenge really is, is often to change the the mindset or even the, the bigger picture goal because yes, we've all been trained to think what what's the return over the next quarter? Can we get over 10% a year? And, and if we average this over the next 30 years and we just leave it in an index fund and the U.S. continues to be the bastion of freedom and it grows, then everything will be okay. And that's part of the myth that we were conditioned with. And with that, with everyone believing that in place, then that's how the banks are able to continuously fleece the public with essentially the same scheme over and over again. But whether it's here or in Europe and whether it's gold and silver or investing in your own business or your own education or a private business or even public businesses just but factoring in that we're in this type of environment where I think we'll see probably, you know, a... a Maybe we'll continue these daily records on the S&P and the Dow for a while. And, but 
Possibly not. In fact, likely not, given you're seeing, here it is again, the Fed's claiming to stop QE3, QE4. Now a lot of that money ends up in Europe. So Europe's slowing down. We'll see. I mean, as, as much as the, the the U.S. claims this great job growth, I mean, we're 200,000 jobs, I mean, that, that's not really a lot, given <laughs> given that the number of people who are actually out of work. So anyway... It's a challenging investing environment, but when you understand the dynamics and are able to adjust your perspective and taking what's available, which right now is an incredible opportunity, which requires some patience, but when you are able to frame it like that, then that turns really what could have been something that would have been really, and still probably will be very challenging for many, into a great source of opportunity for you and, and all the folks listening today and, and the people around the world who are paying attention to what's going on and realizing that there is a better way. And certainly once we let go of the frustration, then we can see that there are solutions. So I can't tell you when it will happen, but you use your common sense and what makes sense and, and play things out. And anyway, this is the way that some people end up being... The winners when you have the economic collapse and some people end up struggling. And with that said, I want to wish you good luck in whatever decisions you end up making. I hope this information was helpful. We'd love to have you back on the show, listening to the show again soon. So hit the subscribe button. You can also go to Arcade Economics and get our weekly column where we also keep you posted in a brief manner of just what's going on and what you need to know so you can get back to living and enjoying your life. And thinking about the more fun things. And so with that said, thank you once again for joining me. And God bless you all.